afternoon, evening, or morning. This is your old Uncle Mosh with Raiders Fan Radio, and you are in for a treat. Sit back and get ready to listen to one of the most insanely knowledgeable people you will ever meet talk about our beloved Raiders. Another episode coming your way of Silver and Black Flashback by Rich Schmelter, the author of the Raiders Encyclopedia. Thank you so much, Uncle Mosh, as always, for that spectacular intro to Silver and Black Flashback. I hope to keep on earning that praise you give me. And I also hope that you enjoyed the previous episode about Otis Sistrunk. And never to be left out is my man Murph, the king of all Raider podcasts. And thanks so much for the great opportunity you gave me to be a part of the best Raiders podcast out there. I am so proud to be a part of this network that helps out so many through the One Nation Foundation that benefits Raiders-related charities. And to all my silver and black brothers and sisters listening around the world, I am so proud to bring you stories of the people and moments that helped make our Raiders history so glorious. And with that being said, why not get on with this new episode of Silver and Black Flashback? I open this new season of the show with the story of our Raiders' first ever regular season win. And that got me to thinking about another first in our history, with that being who scored the first points in a regular season game. And with that idea in mind, I quickly found out that it was the star of this episode, the pride of Salinas, California, Tony Teresa. And it is now time to delve into the life of the player who started it all, point-wise, in Raiders history. Michael Anthony Teresa was born December 8, 1933, in Pittsburgh, California, an industrial suburb located in the San Francisco Bay Area. But then the family took up residence in what was nicknamed California's first city, Monterey. Tony grew up in a big family that included his mother and father, five sisters, and an older brother. And life at home was tough for the family, as his father spent time working on commercial fishing vessels while also dealing with health problems. To help out her large family, Tony's mother worked days trimming lettuce. If times were not tough enough, his brother went off to serve in the military after World War II broke out, one day shy of Tony's eighth birthday in 1941. The family was then forced to move out of Monterey due to the fact that under wartime law, anyone that was not an American citizen could not live within 20 miles of the coast, and Tony's father was not yet an American citizen. Due to that, the family borrowed a flatbed truck and moved to Salinas, where Tony would develop into one of the greatest athletes ever produced in the area. But at first, it seemed that Tony's journey into the world of sports was nothing but a very faraway dream. He was considered not all that fast or strong and was not a very good student. Yes, one would say that Tony Teresa did not have the makings of someone destined for college academics or athletics yet alone make it into the world of professional football. There are so many of these stories throughout sports history, and like Tony's story, through hard work and a burning passion, athletic and academic goals can be obtained. Damn, I just love these overcoming all odds to succeed stories. While still a child, 
All Tony wanted to do was play sports and to find someone to do them with. He became very determined to work at his skills, and once he started playing, he never stopped. He played with passion, played through pain, he never quit, and was always ready to go down fighting. And like all athletes, he possessed a burning desire to win, always testing and pushing himself to excel. He rose up the football ranks in Salinas, from Washington Junior High to becoming a three-sport star in high school as a Salinas Cowboy, where his grit made Coach Russ Mesner's job a whole lot easier. Along the way through his high school career, Tony received many honors in football, basketball, and baseball, and also married his high school sweetheart, and they began building a family while he was still in college. After his graduation from Salinas High School in 1951, Tony only traveled a mere mile and a half away to Hartnell Junior College, and that institution of higher learning was glad to have the local star on its campus, especially head football coach Dick Voris. Tony quickly became a team leader and the standout offensive weapon who led the Maroon and Gold Panthers into the 1952 Junior Rose Bowl, played in Pasadena at the famed Rose Bowl Stadium. The Panthers entered the game with a perfect 10-0 record, as did their opponents, the Baycone Warriors from Oklahoma. The entire city of Salinas was pumped up for this game on Saturday, December 13, 1952, as special trains, planes, buses, as well as a caravan of cars made their way to the game. And what they saw was last-second heroics from Tony Teresa. With Hartnell trailing, 20-14, to 14, with time for only one more play, the ball was on the Baycone 15. Coach Voris decided to replace the fastest player on the team, right halfback Bob Schofield, with Teresa. What they sacrificed in speed, they made up for with determination from Mr. Hart, the nickname Voris used to describe Teresa's passion. Now, to make this even more dramatic, was the fact that Tony was playing with two badly injured wrists that had to be heavily taped. With that being said, at the snap, quarterback Chuck Dillard dropped back and found Tony as he slipped through a seam in the defensive backfield at the five-yard line. The quarterback fired a bullet pass to him, and Tony caught it and went into the end zone untouched for the tying score. Unfortunately, the extra point kick was blocked, and the game ended in a 20-20 tie. Regardless of that tie, Tony Teresa's legacy as an athlete was solidified on that day, just a few days after his 19th birthday. He graduated from Hartnell in 1953 after earning junior college All-America honors in football and all-conference honors in baseball. It was then on to San Jose State University, and the Teresa Magic continued as a Spartan. His time at San Jose State saw him earn all-conference honors in football as a quarterback and defensive back. He even kicked the extra point that gave San Jose State its first-ever victory over Stanford while helping the Spartans to a combined 12-6-1 record in his two seasons at the school in 1954 and 1955. By this time, Tony grew into a 5-foot-10-inch, 185-pound, tough-as-nails, all-around athlete and was ready to try his luck in the professional ranks. 
He started on that journey as a defensive back with the British Columbia Lions of the Canadian Football League in 1956 and 1957 before returning to Northern California for a brief stay with the San Francisco 49ers in 1958. On Friday, April 8, 1960, the then Oakland Seniors, but thankfully soon to be renamed the Raiders, signed Teresa to a contract in the team's first season in the upstart American Football League. Up to this time, from high school to the pros, Tony played seven different positions, quarterback, running back, receiver, defensive back, punt and kick returner, and place kicker. But all that confusion on where to play him changed for Tony during training camp when Oakland head coach Eddie Erdelatz moved him over to the starting right halfback position. His toughness followed him into the world of professional football. Even though he had a shoulder operation, he would take a handoff and crash into the line at practice, then ask for the ball once again just to make sure he could keep on playing. With the Raiders in 1960, Tony was suffering from a ruptured disc in his back, which hampered his practice time during the week. But come game day, after breaking a sweat, he was ready and fought through the pain, and in the process, earned his place in Raiders history and in the team's record books. Tony Teresa's place in Raiders history occurred on Sunday, September 11, 1960, at Kezar Stadium in San Francisco with 12,703 fans gathered on a 66-degree day. This was the Raiders' first ever regular season game, and they played host to the eventual American Football League champion, Houston Oilers. The Oilers took a first-quarter 7-0 lead, but then the Raiders came back to tie the game in the second quarter. This historic event was set up when halfback Jack Larshide connected with Teresa on a pass that gained 38 yards and got the ball to the Houston 13-yard line. And on the following play, quarterback Tom Flores found Tony all alone in the end zone for the first ever touchdown in team history. And despite losing 37-22, Tony got nothing but praise in the newspapers for his excellent work which consisted of catching six passes for 116 yards. And two months later, on Friday, November 4th, 1960, at Nickerson Field in Boston, Tony went into the Raiders' record books by running for three touchdowns in a 34-28 Oakland victory. His scoring runs came from 1, 3, and 20 yards out and placed him in the top spot in that category in team history. His record of three rushing touchdowns has been tied several times, but never broken even after all these years. For the game, he led all ball carriers with 91 yards on 14 carries. Throughout the Raiders' first season, Tony was considered the team's go-to player, and he responded like he always did throughout his athletic career by gaining 608 yards on 139 carries and six touchdowns. His 608 rushing yards allowed him to be ranked fifth in the American Football League's final 1960 standings in that category. He then concluded the 1960 season by being named the winner of the Raiders' Mr. Hart Award. Unfortunately, Tony's warrior-like passion for the game could not carry on after the 1960 season. A pair of two crushed discs in his back forced him to have surgery, and he was never able to resume his playing career, despite having a brief attempt at a comeback in 1962. With a back injury ending his playing days, 
Tony pursued what he wanted to do most with that being a coach and what a job he did in his new career. He coached at Salinas North and Salinas High Schools and then returned to Hartnell Junior College in 1970 to work with the baseball and football teams where he remained for the next 14 years. And during that time, he coached the football and baseball teams to conference and state championships, always striving to pass his knowledge, passion, and dedication along to his players. His efforts as a former athlete and coach earned him a place in numerous halls of fame. The great three-time Super Bowl winning Hall of Fame head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, Bill Walsh, was a college friend of Teresa's and said that he had an effect on the lives of hundreds of athletes and students throughout his coaching career. And his dedication and moral values will have an impact on those people forever. Not a bad recommendation on one's life resume. In fact, Hartnell honored Teresa by having the award given to the most inspirational player named after him. The All-American boy who worked so hard to achieve his dreams died from cancer at the way too early age of 50 on October 16, 1984. But his impact as an athlete will never be forgotten in California. For 15 years after his death in 1999, the newspaper, The Californian, selected Tony as the Salinas Valley Athlete of the Century. Tony Teresa, a hard-working, never-say-die athlete, an outstanding coach, and more important, an outstanding human being that left a legacy only a select few can even dream of obtaining, leaving behind nothing but praise for your life's work. We should all be that lucky. And you will always be a Raider, Mr. Teresa, and will forever represent the team's motto of commitment to excellence. Well, that concludes this episode of Silver and Black Flashback. But before we close out the show, I want to give out some respect to a few awesome people. First off is Matthew DiBiaz, a good friend of mine and one hell of a writer. Matthew just released a book on Amazon titled Lords of the Gridiron 2, Pro Football's Greatest Coaches, and it is great. And Raider Nation, among those greatest coaches with chapters dedicated to them are John Madden and Tom Flores. If you get a chance, please check it out. And also, I have mentioned Bruce on this show from time to time, who is a faithful listener of the show since the beginning. Now, behind every great man is an even greater woman, and in Bruce's case, it is his movie star wife Janine who dazzled the crowd at Gladstones in Malibu a few years back. Much respect to this awesome couple. And as always, respect goes out to all of my Raider brothers and sisters listening around the world. We truly are a family, forever bonded by our love for the greatest professional football team in history. And with that, I will close out our time together like I always do, with the words I embrace every day. So until the next time we get back together again, I say, see you next time. Wait. What the hell? That's not the way we close out this show. No, this is the way we do it. Love you, Raider Nation.